a number of years back, decades actually, 1957, there was a man named Sonny Barger, and he lived in the Oakland, uh, California area, and he formed a motorcycle club uh, that he called the Hells Angels. And unbeknownst to Sonny, there were other motorcycle clubs out there in California that were also called the Hells Angels. And they, Sonny got them to kind of collectively unite as a means to uh, confront police brutality. And while the American Motorcycle Association made the statement that 99% of people who ride motorcycles are law-abiding citizens and don't belong to clubs, the Hells Angels angels then said in response to that we're the one percent meaning we're not law-abiding citizens and uh we uh, uh still we ride motorcycles much of barger's reputation appears to be uh hype but where there's smoke there's fire in his life he did time for drug dealing violence and uh he was known for being deeply involved in the distribution of illegal substances by the hell's angels that he formed and all the violence and mayhem that came along with him uh in uh ultimate was it ultimate the rolling stones had a concert and decided to hire the hell's angels to be their bouncers at that concert they paid them in beer and the Hells Angels killed people, literally killed people at that concert uh, in, in the services that they provided uh, the Rolling Stones. They were known when I was young in the 60s of coursing through the streets of California in giant packs, roaring through town. And they were really quite terrifying. Of course, as he got older, Sonny's family became more and more important to him. But he was always a Hells Angel, and he created quite a culture around himself uh, that always promoted it. Barger did uh, several um, um, things, and if you look around the world today, uh, we can conclude that Barger's contribution to this world was probably like 80 to 90% destructive and uh, harming people through the sales of alcohol and through violence. I didn't know the man. I don't judge him, his life, or the evidence that he did a great deal of harm. That's between his maker and him. But I have a good friend who knew him personally. I grew up with this person. His name is Stuart. And he uh, liked Sonny a great deal. But my point is something far more revelatory Sonny Barger died uh, a few weeks back, and he's an old guy now. He's in his 80s, and he died, and 7,000 people showed up at his funeral. Now, when examining a person's life in their 80s, my dad died at 89, and he had, you know, two dozen people gathered in my sister's house. To die in your 80s when most of your friends have died, to have 7,000 people show up is a real uh, sign of honor and respect to the man who pretty much did a lot of destructive things. And so my point, Billy Graham had 2,300 people come to his funeral. Now, I know there are other people out there who have had more than Sonny Barger and more than Billy Graham who have done good things and bad. 
But I'm just using this as an example to show the way the world operates. Billy Graham changed millions of people's lives through television, evangelical outreach, preaching Christ, and he had 2,300 show up. Barger has 7,000. Um, 7,500 people uniting over a common love for motorcycles and motorcycle gangs that were primarily used for law-breaking, drug use, violence against others. And I watched billions of law-abiding people dedicated to sobriety and kindness and other Christian principles who can't be in the same room with each other because of doctrinal differences. My point is we have Sonny Barger, 7,000 people unite and come and honor his passing. And we have people who are quote unquote dedicated to the principles of love, unity and Christ. And they can't even gather in a small room because of doctrinal differences. They can't unite. Why? What's the problem? When will people of faith drop their weapons and their colors and their denominational tribes and choose to come together in unity and love in this world uh, as a means to present a united front to others? Oh, wait, I know. I remember now people who believe in God have differences that exist between them. And that's why there is so much division. But perhaps we who at least see the faith as fulfilled can begin to include and rub shoulders with all people who have faith, who look to God in, in, in faith, give them the benefit of the doubt and hope to reach them with the truly great news of Jesus Christ. One faith, one love, one baptism, and it's by the spirit. The writer of Hebrews says it plainly without faith, it's impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. I know that we can unite under that banner of people who choose to believe that he is in faith and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. I am confident we can do it if we drop our ego, our pride, and our colors. Just like those 7,000 different motorcycle gang members were able to drop their differences and come together and honor a man who basically was the author of destruction. Now, if you're a Christian that is convinced that everyone who does not believe like you believe whose faith is void and whose faith in God is errant. And because of that faith, they're going to hell forever. I understand. I accept you and your beliefs. And it would make sense that you would never unite with people in peace who don't see the faith like you do. I get it. The reason is that you must feel that you must warn everybody that if they don't believe like you, they're going to suffer 
and you cannot possibly stay quiet. So you, I get it that you have to speak. If that's the case, stay apart, stay in your gang, wear your colors and fight with all the other uh, tribes. That's what it will amount to. Um, but if you seek to come to see that God looks out at anyone who believes that he is in faith and is diligently a seeker of him and that he recognizes that and that that is the value in this world, then let's start to work together on dropping the ego, the pride, the colors, the denominations, the doctrinal divisions, and just start to see what the faith is really about in God's eyes. Faith, believing that he is, and love. I just had this conversation with my daughter, but I want to wrap this little segment up with you on this. Imagine that there's a church and they have the Bible and they teach all the biblical principles really well. And that church preaches hate and division and meanness and argument and strife among its members to have toward others that don't think like them. Okay, They have the truth, the biblical truth, but they live in anger, hatred, and division. Imagine another group. They're not Christian. They read the Bhagavad Gita. They are studying a book that is full of, from a Christian perspective, paganism and idolatry and polytheism and all sorts of horrible things. But that group is taught to love. They place their faith that God is, and they choose to love. You tell me which one that God would be more pleased with. The people who have the correct doctrines in hand, but treat people badly, or the people who have the wrong doctrines in hand, but treat people well. I think it's time we grow up and out of our insular, limited ways of seeing things and realize the victory has been had by Christ. We live by the Spirit, and the people who follow him are known by their love. That is the litmus test. You guys have a great week. Love you.